Welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. We're drowning in plastic, and there will be soon more plastic in the ocean than fish. Plastic takes thousands of years to degrade, and microplastics are everywhere and causing problems. A new generation of activist consumers concerned about the environmental impact of plastics has emerged, and they want packaging and product to become plastic-free. And businesses and producers are starting to listen. But it transpires that nearly everything we've been told about plastics is either wrong or wildly inaccurate. And today's guest on First Mile's Climate Heroes is plastic material scientist and independent environmental expert, Dr. Chris Diarmut. Chris has spent thousands of hours of his own time trying to balance the emotive subject of plastic with scientific facts. And he has published his work in his book called The Plastics Paradox. Chris, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on Climate Heroes. Thanks for having me on, Bruce. I appreciate it. So, I am going to bring this debate right up to date. Yesterday, Theresa Coffey, the Secretary of State for the Environment, announced, and I am quoting from the papers, it might be not not exactly what she said, single-use plastic items, including cutlery and plates, are to be banned in England as the UK government seeks to curb the problem of plastic waste polluting rivers and seas. What is wrong with this statement? Because I think you'll have some disagreement with it. Well, uh, the first thing to say is I'm independent. I've done all this work unpaid, as you mentioned. So all I care about is the truth. I'm not about defending plastics uh, or any side. A real scientist reads everything, which is why I read 3,000 papers to find the truth. And then you come up, make up your mind after you've seen the evidence. So that's where I'm coming from. So let's look at what they're doing and whether it makes sense and whether it's supported by the science. And the first thing to say there is that single-use Materials are not good because we end up throwing them away, right? So single use is obviously not the greenest solution in many cases. But when you do a life cycle analysis to work out what is causing the least impact, we usually find out that the replacements for plastics are increasing harm. So, for example, we know for a fact there are 28 studies on bags. We know that paper bags and cotton bags are much worse than plastic. And it's the same when it comes to cutlery and these other things. So there's nothing wrong really with banning single use, but to only ban the greenest material is illogical and counterproductive. It ends up increasing harm. So that's a problem. You mentioned um, contamination of rivers. And of course, this comes from litter, right? The way that things get into rivers is that people litter it. So that's blaming that on the material or the object. is uh, It's like a five-year-old's argument. If my kid dropped a candy wrapper on the floor and blamed Hershey's or Cadbury's, I'd think that they were an idiot, right? I'd I'd have to forgive them if they were five years old. But adults are literally doing that. They're blaming Coca-Cola for bottles. And it's just, it's illogical, it's counter-scientific, and it it doesn't help us because if you put the blame in the wrong place, you can come up with the wrong solutions that don't work or increase harm. So there's a lot wrong with that. And another thing is uh, people bandy this uh, number around, this alarming number that maybe 8 million tons of plastic are going into the oceans from rivers. And that was a guess made by Jambeck years ago. They literally worked out how much plastic was in thir- within 30 miles of the coast and assumed that like 2% of it teleported into the ocean, right, with no data, just a guess. 
And the latest estimate based on actual numbers is that there's 6,000 tons, not 8 million tons going into the ocean, which is more than a thousand times less. And most of what's going in, what we find in the ocean is from the fishing industry. So it's another example, right? We're blaming the wrong people. We're coming up with solutions that don't work or increase harm. So, uh, and, and literally, if this um, politician had spent three minutes to check the facts, then uh, they would be making policies that helped rather than harmed. So it's quite alarming then, isn't it, that we've basically got the, you know, the head of the UK government in charge of the environment who is pushing through or promoting policies. And let's set aside the fact that, as you quite rightly say, you know, why do we need single, why, why do we need single use cutlery and plates in the first place? I'm going to come back to that actually when we talk about life cycle analysis. But we're pushing through a policy um, that says that we're going to ban this stuff because we're trying to stop waste entering UK rivers and oceans. And it feels like there, there's no evidence for that. I mean, is two questions. One is, are UK rivers and, and the UK oceans um, polluted with plastic cutlery and single-use plates? And if so, is this the right policy to um, stop them? Or should we, should we be talking about other policies? Yeah, there's a couple of things there. So if you look at the scientific data and where which rivers are polluting uh, the oceans, they're all from Africa and Asia. 90% of everything that's coming from rivers is in countries which are unable yet to manage their waste. They haven't caught up with us, right? There's nothing wrong with them. They're not bad people. They're just behind technologically speaking. So almost none of it's coming from the UK or America or any of the countries that we think about normally. So imposing bans on places where there isn't a problem is just silly. It's, and it doesn't make sense. And even if we were to ban single-use plastic alone, then people would be chucking other things. They would be chucking single-use paper plates and single-use uh, wooden knives and forks into the same places. So, um, again, it doesn't it doesn't solve anything to just change from one material to a more harmful material and and find that littered as well. It's just the whole thing just doesn't make sense. Just before we move off cutlery, presumably, and maybe this is a way of introducing the concept of life cycle analysis, but forgetting about the fact that we might be throwing our single-use plastic items into a river uh, which most people wouldn't do anyway or some of that's going to end up into in a river or the ocean but although plastic and you you've argued in the book and we'll come on to it is actually a very environmentally good solution presumably if you're looking at something um like a fork or a knife it's surely better to have a, a stainless steel metal fork or knife and wash it from a life cycle perspective than a plastic one. Or is that wrong as well? Because, you know, a knife or fork could last, you know, 20, 30 years if it's, uh, you know, washed on a regular basis. Or is the, is the sort of impact of heating up the water and washing the knife or fork also greater than a single use plastic item? Yeah, great question. So that has been studied by scientists. And as you said, they have to look into the water used to wash it, the energy used, the detergent used, all that kind of stuff. And what you find, uh, I have seen studies on cutlery, and I don't have them to mind because it was a, like a year ago when I read it. But if you look at coffee cups, for example, they find that you can use a normal ceramic coffee cup, but I think you have to use it about 200 times because ceramics are fired at thousands of degrees, right? So you'd have to use it, I think, about 200 times um, without breaking it and wash it, and then it would be greener. So these reusable things are potentially greener, but only if we use them enough times. And they've, ha they've made this mistake with plastic bags. There are 28 studies, as I said, showing the single-use plastic bags are the greenest option, greener than cotton or bioplastic or paper. The other green option would be a reusable plastic bag, you know, these blue ones we get from IKEA, for example. But only if you reuse them 
a lot of times, right, because they're much thicker plastic. And what we find is that humans are not reusing them enough times in that case to make it greener. So you end up with a, a cupboard full of much thicker plastic bags that you forgot to take back to the supermarket and using more plastic and not helping the environment. So in theory, these things can be greener. Um, and people make another mistake that they make is that they assume that the plastic can't be reused. So my daughter reused a plastic straw 50 times. And an, I know another environmental guy, he reused his normal plastic straw 100 times, right? So this argument that we'll take a metal straw that takes a colossal amount of energy, we know that it's not green, right? We'll take a metal straw because it can be reused. Like, well, A, the greenest solution is don't take any straw. 99% of people don't need a straw, just say no, right? And if you have to take one, take the plastic one, because we know from scientific studies it's greenest, and rewash, you know, reuse it. You can reuse it 50 or 100 times. So people are assuming this, this plastic straw is so cheap, I'm going to chuck it in the bin, and here I'm going to pay way, way more for a much heavier, much worse metal or, or glass straw, because it can be reused when all along the plastic one could have been. So these... All the, all the answers are there. The scientific studies are there. We know what is greenest and no one's doing it. They're all following their gut and following their heart and ignoring the facts. And you've given examples there, Chris, of a plastic straw versus a metal straw or a uh, glass straw. But actually what's happening in the, in the UK anyway, the takeaway market or if you go to a bar, if you get a straw, you want a straw. It's not plastic quite often now. It's a, it's a paper disposable straw. And I understand that if you have a stainless steel straw, that's going to have a lot more embedded energy in it than a plastic straw. But is a paper straw similar to a plastic straw or have they got a bigger carbon impact before we even start with them? Paper's worse. So I've just read 50 life cycle analyses and in every case, paper and cotton and copper or iron or bioplastics were all worse for the environment than the normal plastics we use, like polyethylene and polypropylene. And it's not by a small margin. If I compare paper to plastic, paper requires about four times more energy, four times more CO2, four times more water, and you make about four times on average more waste. In the case of a paper straw, it weighs about double what the plastic one does. In the case of a paper bag for my local um, supermarket here, it weighs 10 times more. The, the plastic one, six grams, and the paper one, 60 grams. So as a rule of thumb, uh, paper and plastic are kind of close in environmental impact per gram, per unit weight of material. And if you want to know which one is greener, just weigh them. Um, because the lighter one is the one that uses least material and is going to be greenest in most cases. And the other way to know what's greenest is just go for the cheapest. A lot of people are now conflicted with a recession coming. They're worried, how can I afford to be green? And the answer is just go and buy the cheapest material because that's usually the one that's greenest because being green and being cheap depend on many of the same things, right? How much energy was put into this thing? How much transportation was put in? How much pollution did I have to clean up? How much water did I have, did I have to pay for to manufacture it? Many of these things that go into a life cycle analysis are the same factors that go into a cost. Super interesting. And I, I, I'm fascinating that per gram paper is similar to plastic, but actually, and you just need to you know pick up a paper bag or a cardboard box, which is often being used instead of plastic bags now, and they're way heavier, um, which is a great rule of thumb. Now, we've mentioned life cycle analysis or LCA um, a few times already. Can you give us a uh, sort of idiot's guide, if you like, for our lovely listeners that have offended them there? What's a life cycle analysis and why, why are they so important? They've been around a long time. Can they be trusted? And what are they? 
Yes, well, nothing's perfect, right? But it's the only scientifically proven way which has been evolving over 40 or 50 years of working out what's green, right? Quantifying it. So you literally add up how much carbon dioxide was created making this product, how much um, pollution is going into rivers, how much waste am I creating, what's happening at the end of the life cycle of this product. So it's not just making the material, it's the whole life cycle of it in its application. So, for example, if you look at the life cycle analysis of a car, you find out that the manufacturing of the materials is only about 10% of the overall impact. It's much more important how light is that material and how much petrol are you saving by making the car lighter. So it's not just about the materials, it's about the whole life cycle from making the materials to using the thing, to repairing it, to disposing of it at the end of life. All of that's included. And people don't realize that. They always say, oh, well, life cycle analysis ignores this or that. And that's because they've never seen one, right? They, they include virtually everything you can think of. And they're standardized and they have to be peer reviewed. So you can't pull a fast one. Having said that, I would never trust one life cycle analysis, especially from a trade association. And that's exactly why I have the world's largest collection of life cycle analyses on bags, because I went to find every single one and make sure, you know, see what the evidence told me. And everyone agreed. Every single one ever done in the world agrees that the paper bag is way worse than the plastic bag. And what is the history of the... Um plastic bag then because we sort of we didn't always have plastic bags and I guess before that it was a cotton bag or a paper bag and we're now back to plastic well we've had plastic and plastic has now got a tax associated with it and now we're sort of heading back to paper or cotton bags and is that are we going to end up with plastic bags again in 10 years time when people start listening to you about the life cycle analysis? Yes, because people are reversing the ban. So a lot of these politicians who just did a knee-jerk reaction to get to get votes, they've now reversed their decisions, and now they look like idiots, right? Because it would have literally taken... If you go to Google right now and type in LCA for life cycle analysis, space, B-A-G for bag, you will find the PDF studies I'm talking about, right? They're on, the, they're on Google. They're not hidden. It would take an intelligent person one second to find that the plastic bag is greenest, and it's not even close. As I said, it's a factor of four greener. So um, these decisions are being reversed already. People are making decisions proven, 100% proven, to increase harm. They're waving their cotton bags around and feeling like saints, and they're actually increasing harm because they couldn't be bothered to look at the facts. And so if we switched every bag to paper or every bag to cotton, is that going to have an impact on land use? Because we'd have to switch over more land to cotton production or we'd have to have more forests? Do we need more trees? Or have we got Yeah, they trees? calculated that to... Well, ironically, the guy who invented the plastic bag was a Swedish guy and he carried one around in his pocket and he reused it. I have the patent here, his original patent from, I think, 1920. And he invented it to save trees. They've calculated that you'd have to cut down 2 million more trees just to replace the plastic bags every year, just to replace the plastic bags in Europe, right? So and if we look worldwide, that would be about 5 million trees a year cut down to replace a plastic bag. And all the while, increasing harm, increasing waste, increasing CO2, increasing land use, and all the rest of it. So it's just an idiotic thing to do. First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website, which is thefirstmile.co.uk, to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. Isn't the problem, though, that you have, um, if you take the plastic bag... Your life cycle analysis, which, um, as you said, although it's available freely on Google, most people aren't familiar with the term or the understanding of the embedded carbon and the transportation and everything. 
And what people tend to be getting upset about or being told to get upset about is the fact that you end up with lots of plastic bags in your cupboard. And although the life cycle analysis might say the impact of this plastic product versus this paper product or this glass product or this metal product is much lower, people are then getting upset about it at the end of its life. And is it because we don't have a good recycling infrastructure that there people are, people are then jumping to wild sort of conclusions or inaccurate conclusions because they're just frustrated with the fact that they've got cupboards stuffed with plastic bags at home i don't know what's driving i don't think it's rational what's driving this my suspicion is that when we see a plastic bag they're really ugly i mean i'm a plastic guy right and when i see one plastic bag in the kitchen i'm offended right it just looks awful to the human eye it doesn't look natural there's some visceral reaction against things that don't look natural and so i think there's some irrational um, demonization of plastics going on just by the fact that this doesn't strike us as something that's not i mean if you look at you know leaves when they fall off a tree that's called tree litter did you know that that's the that's the proper word for it it's tree litter right it's uh, leaves are called litter but we don't they don't offend us right we can i can look out of my window and go look at all the beautiful brown and golden the leaves and fall is here again and what a lovely thing let's go for a walk in the park with my wife right uh, but when you see you know one plastic bag in the kitchen you're just mortally offended by it even though they're both litter and so um i think there's something going on there that people are and, and this has been scientifically proven, right? There's a guy called Jonathan Haidt, who's very famous, and I have some of his books behind me on the shelf here. And he's proven, he's got a model of a, a rider and an elephant. So this is how human beings actually behave. We like to think that we're rational. But the human being is like an elephant with a little person on the back, right? And the elephant's actually steering, but the person wants to think that they are, right? And so this is, what, this is how human beings behave. I meet you, and I decide in a millisecond that I like you or I don't like you and then I rationalize afterwards why I had that gut reaction and this is how we're this is how we're actually operating all day long people see this piece of ugly plastic they feel it's ugly and that ugliness is correlated with evil as well right so they think it's ugly they think it's evil and then they make up reasons why they don't like it when in fact there is no logical reason interesting so maybe maybe you're trying to uh, sort of correct the world view through the science and and rationality that plastics are actually a very good environmental product when i am the problem and the recycling waste industry is the problem because actually if it was easy to recycle plastics then maybe that ugliness and that problem would go away because if someone has a paper bag or a cardboard box or a glass jar or a metal can it can be more easily recycled than many particularly flexible plastics like plastic bags and you think if the recycling industry caught up, which it is doing, but it's, it is still a long way behind and there's still only about less than 20% of plastics that are recycled in the world. Do you think if the recycling industry caught up, then much of this demonization of plastics would fall away? Or do you think we've just sort of it's so embedded in culture now that plastics are bad that it'll never go away now? Yeah, this is a big uh, red herring. The whole recycling thing is a giant red herring and it has nothing to do with litter, right? I've never seen a single study that said, okay, I'm walking down the street, I'm thinking about dropping my soda can or my bottle on the floor, and then I suddenly have an epiphany. Oh my God, this is being recycled at 20% instead of 40% or 60%. There's no correlation with people's littering behavior. 81% of litter is dropped intentionally by people behaving badly, and then they turn around and blame the litter because they can't look at themselves in the mirror and blame the person who's actually at fault. And so that's a misconception. It doesn't matter what the recycling rates are, um, littering won't change. The only thing that does change it is putting a deposit on the item and making it too expensive for the people to want to drop it on the floor. And that's been proven to work with a deposit scheme. So that's one thing to know. 
You also brought up that the one weak point of plastics is the current recycling rate. And there's a fundamental reason why it's low. And the simple reason is you can't make money doing it. The way the world works is that people will do anything that makes money, right? Anything that's profitable. And these recycling companies spring up and then they go out of business. I saw one or two go out of business last week, right? On the, There were internet announcements that they've gone out of business. And here's something fundamental that people don't appreciate. If you read a book, I have, I have it behind me here, um, about materials, all materials, you find out that the most hideous materials for the environment are platinum, palladium, and gold, right? They consume incredible amounts of energy, huge amounts of waste. You throw almost everything away and pick a little nugget, right? And what else do we know about platinum, palladium, gold? They're incredibly expensive, and you always recycle them, and you never throw them away. And on the other end of that spectrum, we have things like polyethylene, polypropylene, and PET, which we know generate the least CO2 and need the least amount of water and the least amount of energy and so on. They're the greenest materials. And they're so cheap because they're so green that we throw them away without a thought, right? So we have two ends of a spectrum. We have things which are hideous for the environment, which are always recycled, and things which are so green that they're so cheap we don't, we don't mind throwing them away because it's not painful to us to do so. And so this argument that plastics are bad because the recycling rate is low and that the industry has scammed us and, or something, it's just not true. If people can make money doing it, they would. And the way to make them, the way to make it profitable is uh, companies like Unilever and Nestle are saying, look, I guarantee to buy this much recycled plastic at this price for this period of time. And now the recycler can put in a factory knowing they have a customer waiting at a price where they're profitable and they can build a business case and go ahead. So the, the reason plastics are not recycled more is that they're so green and they're so cheap and it's not really economically worth it. It's as simple as that. And there is a paradox there. I mean, amazing, ama amazingly interesting. And do you think the technology is there um, from, you know, you're, you're a polymer expert, as you said, a plastics guy. Do you think all of the technology or most of the technology is there for recycling plastics and it's just a case of economics? Yes, it's absolutely easy. 90% of plastics, if you look at which plastics we use, they're polyethylene, polypropylene, PET, PVC, and they can all be recycled, no problem. You just take them, you stick them in a machine, remelt them, you've got a new part, dead easy. There's no fundamental reason why you can't just use normal mechanical recycling. And, we're, and don't forget, we're taking materials which we know cause the least harm and making them even greener because recycling is a lot less energy than making a material from scratch. So you save about 60 or 70% of energy to recycle the plastic. So the green part is there. And, it, and the technology part is there. And I see a lot of people obsessing about this chemical recycling, So, which doesn't make a scratch, doesn't make a dent on anything. It's just a giant waste of time and money for the most part. Plastics are less than half a percent of all the materials we use and all the waste we create. Less than one half of one percent, right? And 90% of that can be recycled easily by bunging it in a machine today, the, the, the same machine we use for normal plastics virgin plastics right so no investment needed no mystery no technology advances needed so this chemical recycling is applying to 10 percent of 0.4 percent of all materials we use so we're obsessing about how are we going to recycle 0.04 percent of all materials it's just not going to affect anything right it's just a, a massive amount of public uh, perception is going into it and hundreds of millions of dollars for something that won't make a dent on anything and this fact of how much of um, consumption of materials is just worth coming back to, because I got this out of your uh, book, and I hope you don't mind me quoting. So global consumption of materials every year is, I mean, it's impossible to visualise, 90, 90 billion tonnes. 
of which plastic is 370 million tonnes, which sounds a lot, but it's less, as you've just said, less than 1% of global cons cons consumption of materials. But the interesting thing of that 90 billion tonnes is the largest proportion is ceramics, which is dominated by concrete, which is massively energy intensive to produce. And why aren't we talking about concrete? Well, that's the funny thing, right? I'm a problem solver. I get paid to solve problems for the world's largest companies. Companies like Apple and Procter & Gamble come to me when they're stuck, right? And the number one thing when you're solving a problem is to look at the facts and make sure you have them in front of you, right? Because if you don't understand the problem, you can never solve it. So if I'm looking, as you said, at this pie chart in front of me from a book on materials use, I see that 84% of all materials we use is ceramics, right? So the idea and the plastics are less than 1% by weight and by volume, right? So the idea that we can obsess about plastics all day long and solve anything and ignore 99.5% of our materials problem and waste problem is idiotic. It's, you'd have to be like certifiably insane or incredibly stupid to think you can avoid 99 and a half percent of problem it'd be like me cutting my toenails and thinking the rest of me is in perfect physical condition because i because i trim my toenails right obsessing over some or i combed my hair and now I, now my heart i'm having a heart attack Here, here's the answer i'm going to comb my hair that will solve everything this this obsessing over one tiny detail and ignoring the actual vast majority i'm not saying we shouldn't talk about plastics right but if people were genuinely worried about materials waste and waste they would for every post we saw about plastics we'd be we would be seeing 200 on ceramics and metals and uh, and wood and other things which we use right that's what would happen if we were being logical and we genuinely cared about materials or waste and this is proof that we don't genuinely care right if we genuinely were worried about materials or waste and not just demonizing plastics we would be talking about the rest but we're not we're making up as i said irrational reasons to hate plastics um, when they don't exist you fl at the end of your book, you sort of flip the plastics and the, the name of the book, The Plastics Paradox, you, flick, you, you flip it on your head and you say, actually, if you want to be an environmentalist, you have to embrace rather than oppose the use of plastics. Is that right? Yes. If you look at the science, you can be for the environment or against plastics, but you can't be both at the same time. If you're against plastics, you are harming the environment. It's 100% scientifically proven. If you want to do that as an adult, uh, go ahead and do it. So I like to also, another thing I like to say to people is, feel free to hate plastics, but please hate them based on something that's actually true. Because at the moment, people are hating them based on a bunch of things which are propagated by NGOs who are making hundreds of millions of dollars making up fiction to get your donations. I mean, the president of Greenpeace, Dr. Patrick Moore, left and wrote two books in a report saying that their business, their business model is to make up things to make you so annoyed that you donate. That's their actual business. They've, according to him, they've abandoned facts in the environment decades ago, and that's why he left. Do you think that's going to change? Because we have very emotive films on television. We have very emotive language and imagery of um, you know wildlife with you know entangled in plastic. Usually not plastic packaging. It's usually abandoned fishing gear. But there we go. And do you think that? debate can move on now or do you think we've just become so culturally opposed to plastic and what it stands for in the environment well i'm a realist right so i know that only a few percent of people actually care about this topic 
The rest of them are just pretending to look good to their friends. That's called virtue signaling. Everyone's like, rah, 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 I'm so, I care so much. And then you say to them, well, have you got three minutes to see the facts which you've never seen? You've only, you've never heard from an independent scientist before. You've never seen peer-reviewed science that's true. All you've done is heard from the media and, and NGOs who want to empty your pockets for you. So, and then they say, no, I haven't got time. And you say, oh, so how much did you really care? I've spent 3,000 hours checking this and you haven't got three minutes to even glance at the numbers. Because you can, you can also go online, right? You, let's say you're worried about turtles, right? So go to Google and type in turtle mortality study or whale mortality study, right? And you'll find the science or bird mortality study. I've done it. It's in my slides. In every case, you find that there's not one single mention. If you look at the, what's actually causing the deaths of turtles uh, or whales or birds, not one single mention in any of the scientific studies of plastic or bag, right? So if people were genuinely worried about birds, I can tell you, I've got the slide in front of me. There are 100 million birds killed every year in America by cats, right? So if you actually cared and no mention of bags whatsoever, it's zero or it's so close to zero, you can't measure it, right? So if anyone was really worried about birds, they would put a bell on their cat, right? That's it. If, if somebody was genuinely worried, but they're not, right? They're not genuinely worried about that. They're just dreaming up reasons to empty your pockets with a, a picture of a bird or a, or, a, or a turtle. Even if you look at that famous thing with the turtle with the straw up its nose, it's not even, it never even happened, right? If you look at the video, the woman says, what is it? And she says, oh, he bit on it. And he says it's plastic. So they pulled an object out of a turtle's nose, never analyzed it, right? And bit on it and said it's plastic. I'm a scientist. I can tell you there are machines for analyzing what things are made of and biting on them is not included in one of the official uh, mechanisms for working out what things are made of. And then we wrote to them and said, well, how do you know it was a straw then? And they said, oh, we don't. It could have been anything. So 200 million people have seen a YouTube video with an object pulled out of a turtle's nose. They're all convinced it was a plastic straw. There's no evidence it was plastic and no evidence it was a straw either, right? So this is how far people will go. They're just dying to believe any odd nonsense that people show them. And watch the video yourself. Go to YouTube and watch it and listen to what they say. And it seems to be getting through to the corporate. I mean, it's interesting you're saying you work, you know, you help big businesses solve problems, but it seems to be getting through to the corporate world where, I mean, I was just shocked where my family, like, crisps and we always buy in the weekly shop a big bag of multi-pack of crisps and it used to come in like a big crisp bag um so it was like a big sort of outer bag that was made out of the same material as crisps as the crisp bags and it arrived last week in a cardboard box yeah horrendous i've seen the life cycle studies on that it's the box that it comes in is 90 percent of the whole thing if it's nothing compared to the the crisp bag just weigh it if the box weighs more, you're you're increasing harm by about five times by putting it in a box. Wow. Can we turn that back? Can we get corporations to... Because the corporations tend to say, well, we're doing it because of consumer pressure and consumer demand. So is that real? Right. There was a report with supermarkets, because I thought, how stupid are these executives, right? Surely they've they've spent three seconds to look at the facts. So they did an interview of UK supermarket executives, and they said, yes, we know that replacing plastic with paper increases harm, but we do it because our customers ask us to do it, right? So they know it. They know that they're increasing harm. They've admitted it. There's, an, there's a written report you can download that says it. But as long as customers are fed nonsense, right, they're misled by NGOs who are enriching themselves from fiction, right? As long as the customers believe this stuff and don't spend two seconds to check it, they will keep demanding. The, the, the politicians will do whatever the voters want, right, which is the customer. The corporations will provide whatever nonsense, non-green solution you ask for. So you're feeling like a saint, as I said, and actually you're a sinner because you're making things worse. 
And all of this will go on as long as we allow the misinformation to um, perpetuate. And I know that it probably won't change anytime soon, uh, despite the information being freely available. People are just not interested in facts. And then just sort of turning to solutions, I'm conscious conscious of time, Chris. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation has um, published and got many big businesses signed up to the UK Plastics Pact. Is that heading in the right direction? And they're very much supportive of the... 30% 30% recycled content in packaging. They very much focus on elimination of unnecessary single-use packaging. Is that heading in the right direction, do you think, or is that misconstrued? I'm not a big policy person, right? I'm a scientist, so I'm not a politician. I don't have a political affiliation of any kind. I'm, you know, uh, So I don't spend a lot of time looking at that, but I am concerned that uh, Ellen MacArthur has not got great credibility, right? I mean, they released that thing about more plastic than fish in the ocean, and that's been debunked so many times, it's ridiculous. They And they never retracted it, right? To my mind, an organization that was working for the environment would get their facts straight, they would check things, and if they made a mistake, they would retract it and admit it. And I have not seen no evidence of that from them. So the, the BBC, the CBC, and even I have a webpage showing that what a load of nonsense that is, more plastic than fish. And they're campaigning on this. They've got to, you know, they're, they're getting, these companies get donations from this stuff, which just isn't true. So, um, that's my worry that some of the things are intuitively, obviously, it makes sense, right? Let's let's reduce materials, let's reduce things we don't need. All that's very sensible, but I'm I'm deeply suspicious of organisations which don't have a great reputation for sticking to things which are backed by the science. So it's fascinating, Chris, that you've done something which seems quite obvious, really, which is you've read the science, <laughs> and then you're showing us that we're all being um, sold a completely incorrect worldview of plastics. You've said quite rightly, you're not a policy guy, you're a scientist, but for you, what would success look like in terms of, you know, you're, you're doing this with your frustration that people aren't telling the truth and we're not getting the science through, but will you be sitting here in 30 years time, um, still feeling like we're trimming our toenails and thinking like uh, the, the, the body is in rude health or do you think we're going to have had change? Well, the pen- pendulums start to swing, you know, things go back and forth. They always go too far in one direction. So uh, the great thing is, right, this is not my income. My job is solving problems, being a scientist, working with materials. And um, I don't care one way or the other. I don't actually care that much about plastics or the environment. The thing that I'm cr- crusading for here is truth, right? Please make decisions based on things that are actually true. If you're going to claim to care about something, spend a few minutes to check the facts because it's dead easy to do. It's all on my website. And I want to mention the book's free, the website's free, the videos are free. I'm doing this podcast for free, right? I've, all of this is for free. And that's another way to tell who's telling the truth, right? Look and, look and see where the dollars are flowing, right? You've got an independent scientist who spent thousands of hours and is sharing it all for free, did it all unpaid. Or you've got people with hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank and a reputation for telling whoppers. So I, I do suspect that this will come back. We already see reversals of uh, bag bans. We already see people realizing that this is increasing harm. And also as a recession comes, this whole environmental thing is a luxury problem. This is what people do when they don't have real problems, right? When you're not starving, when your family's fine, when you've got plenty of money, you start worrying about things which are minutia. As soon as the recession comes, all of this will go out the window. Nobody's going to buy their allegedly green goose egg or uh, any of these free farmed whatever or their organic bananas. It'll all be back to the standard stuff because it's cheaper and ironically greener. That's interesting. You say you're about telling the truth. Extinction Rebellion, who uh, were on the show earlier, they've got three demands. The first one is tell the truth. Are they telling the truth about plastics? Do you know? 
I haven't looked at theirs particularly. What are they saying? Are they are they spouting the normal nonsense that it doesn't degrade and that it's uh, more fish plastic than fish and all of that? Or I don't know either, but I'm going to check it out because one of the, they've got three demands. One of them is tell the truth. So um, it would be interesting if they're aligned in terms of where they're. Um, position on plastics are as well but i will i will go back and check i've written to ellen MacArthur. i've written to the world wildlife fund and i've written to greenpeace i've got pages showing the things that they're saying which are anti-scientific and just not the case and none of them have, have replied to the many people i've written to none of them have updated anything they've got just giant whoppers in my opinion according to the science the things they're saying are just complete nonsense disproven by hundreds of scientific articles and it's sitting there right next to a donate now button and they show no inclination to remove it so um, that tells me pretty much where, the, where their motives uh, are aligned. And then interestingly, um, you know, you, you say you're a warrior for truth. You know, what's coming next? So you say you're not particularly interested in the environment or plastics, which is uh, a good point when, you, when you're a scientist uh, uh, searching out truth. Is there something else that you're working on that you can share with us? Is there another truth campaign that you have? There's all kinds of things. I mean, I see people talking about um, gender equality, for example, and these people are off uh, again getting giant amounts of money by making people annoyed about things which are just not true. So if you look, uh, for example, they're wondering why are there not more women in science, right? And that's that's been known for years, right? Um, so there was a study of 500,000 people across 67 countries, more than one study. And we know exactly, I'm not going to go into the details now, but we know exactly why there's fewer women in STEM and fewer men in nursing as well, right? Because men and women have different preferences, basically. On average, men and women have different pro preferences. And this is 100.000% scientifically proven, right? Uh, that we have different interests, we have different things uh, that we're, we're um, more interested in and so forth. So all these th people are off campaigning anywhere they can make a buck and make people angry. And, and no one seems to be checking the facts, which is alarming. Interesting. Um, I love, I love the, I love your sort of self-declared warrior of truth, which I, I, I like that a lot. Chris, it's been absolutely amazing talking about plastics, and we didn't really have enough time to do it justice. And I would highly recommend anybody and everyone that listens to this show is definitely interested in plastics, plastics waste, plastics recycling, and the impact of plastics to go to your website, which is. The best one probably is phantomplastics.com and there's also plasticsparadox.com. Either of those, you can get the book for free in several languages. And the best single thing, if you have three minutes, there's a an overview of all the facts that we just mentioned about litter, waste, microplastics, all covered in three minutes, and a video inside that page. And if you were to watch that, you'd spend 20 minutes of your life and you'd actually be able to help the environment rather than harm it. Before we go, we have uh, a regular feature here, Chris, which is Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. And if you could put one thing, thought or person, into First Smile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame, what would it be? I think it would be you can be for the environment or against plastics, but you can't be both. You have to choose. Chris, it's been absolutely amazing having you on the show. Thank you very much for being my guest on First Miles Climate Heroes. Thanks for looking below the surface and caring about facts, Bruce. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Bruce Bratley, and you've been listening to First Miles Climate Heroes, where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday.